And so in those kind of times, in that kind of explosion of all these images, um, you get a lot of people who were looking at sculpting the classical statues. And so around the same time, people were playing cards. And one of the cards games that they played uh, was the Tarochi game, which is game of trumps. So anybody here play trumps? Yeah, you know how to play it. So what you do is you have a playing deck, you have the four suits, somebody, you shuffle them, you turn one over, it's hearts, you go hearts or trumps. Well, in the game of Tarochi, they had several cards, 20 cards, 22 cards that were the trumps. And they, if they came up, that meant that you doubled your money. But the same, same principle, instead of you defining what the trump was, they were already there and mixed up in the deck when you played them. And what they started to do was to imbue the trumps with scenes from this explosion of art and classical mythology. So you've got cosmic things like the sun, the moon, and the star, but you've also got quite a lot of Gnostic Christian things like Judgment Day and uh, the Pope and the Papess and you know, things like that. You had the magician and the jester who were quite common figures. You had death that was seen in the streets around you with the Black Death. So that was a very common, very feared thing. And, and one of the other things they were doing at that time, which you may not know about, was they had these great carnivals in, in Italy. And in these carnivals, they had these great floats. Now, we think of like the Notting Hill Carnival, we think of all these big floats and that. They had them then, and they were, they were double-decker stuff. I mean, really, the whole big shebang. They had huge big um, floats with hell, and the, the, the jaws of hell would open up, and people would jump out as devils, and they'd run around the crowd, and you know, kind of prong you, poke you with their forks, and they'd have another one that was heaven with all the angels playing their hearts, and big clouds around them. In fact, um, Leonardo da Vinci um, actually designed one of these, these grand floats, and they were called uh, triumphi, they were called triumphs. And the Tarachi triumphs became known as triumphi uh, in, in the same way. And a lot of the images from those floats can be found in, in the deck as well. And another thing that happened around there was that Petrarch wrote a, a, a lot of poems, um, and he specifically wrote some poems with images about the different triumphs, or triumphi. And he wrote about the triumph of love, and the triumph of death, and the triumph of fame, and the triumph of eternity, and things like that. So a lot of these things would have been seen by the common people. They would have seen the triumphs, they would have seen the, the floats, they would have seen the poems, even if they would have heard the poems in village towns, they would have seen the pictures. They might not have seen the cards, because at that time the cards were not in public, uh, very, very common to the public. And the, the kind of cards that are the oldest surviving records of the tarot were about this big, a bit, a bit more, a bit like that, and, and, and covered in, in gold leaf and were works of art. And they would hang in the Duke's dining rooms, absolutely exquisite uh, kind of objects of art. And they often portrayed the family of the, the, the Duke. So you'd get the Duke himself as the, the emperor, you'd get his wife as the empress, you'd get the daughter as the high priestess, you'd get the son as uh, the chariot or, some, or charioteer or something like that. And then you'd get various family members going on from there. And of course the Wheel of Fortune was a very common uh, medieval symbol that came down to us from the classical Greece being the symbol of Fortuna, who was the goddess of luck. And she had more temples than anybody else in ancient Greece or Rome, in the sense if you think about it now. Everybody wants a bit of luck in their lives, don't they? So you've got this idea that in the Renaissance all this kind of comes together. And then come a couple of hundred years as it kind of spreads out, 
it starts to mix with streams of magical thought and collective bodies of groups of people that create organizations to study and work through some of these concepts. So you get the Rosicrucians, you get the Freemasons. And the first kind of idea that this is, is coming together in some way is really with Alphys Levi, who's, who speaks of, I mean, his first book, Transcendental Magic. I don't know if anybody here read Transcendental Magic. It's a really good book. Even today, I recommend it to students because it's, it's got such good material in it. And he kind of pulled together a lot of different things. And in that wonderful kind of way that people used to, when they were scholars, they used to be mathematicians, physicists, um, medicine. They used to be experts in medicine and uh, scholars. They used to speak five languages. You could be skilled at so many things, and nobody would call you a charlatan. You'd, you'd have knowledge about all those things uh, yourself and be widely regarded. Uh, and, and he was one of those things. He was a Jewish scholar. So he was primarily interested in the Kabbalah. And when he came across the tarot, he was absolutely blown away because he could see the Kabbalah on the tarot. It's, it's easy to see why.